Let's just go ahead and get started. Um, we have Toya on. I'm on tonight. Who else is on? Maritza's on. Hi, Maritza. And we have um, Julie. She's going to be our guest host for tonight. Hi, Julie. Glad to have you. Thanks. Glad to be here. <laughs> okay, ladies. I wanted to get you guys' thoughts on this. Um, I saw this earlier this week. It's about... Um, a 15-year-old girl who was um, married off. She was married off by her family at 15. And she's currently 19 and facing um, the death pen penalty for killing her 35-year-old husband for raping her. Now, it, the story says that she um, didn't want to get married. This is, um, she's um, Sundanese. So this, you know, they have arranged marriages there. So she didn't want to get married and she um, didn't want to have sex. Her brother and her cousin actually held her down for her to consummate her marriage. And then when the husband tried to have sex with her again, she defended herself and he ended up dying. Wow. So um, currently there's a, you know, there there are people here in the United States that are trying to help get justice for her. And I'm just wondering, like, you know, of course, it, it just sounds somebody died. But this is the part of the justice system where I just kind of be feeling like it's no justice to kill this child. So, yeah. yeah, that is so crazy. Yeah, I just feel... um feel really really bad for her and if i remember in this death by stoning or something yeah it's something really brutal that, the way that's that they how they wanna... over in in that mm -hmm. that sounds oh like that is so bizarre yeah. so was he abusing her at all or it's just that he was trying to be with his wife and she just didn't want to be with him <laughs> Yeah, it just seems like um, it doesn't look like they have been married long at all, but he didn't want she didn't want to have sex with him. So the first time wow. her brother and her cousins held her down yeah, and he had sex with her. <laughs> like, I think they should be punished. <laughs> but <laughs> again, this is a country where I'm sure. There's just so many levels of wrong here. I don't even know where to start. I know that's like so bad <laughs> all the way around. It's it's crazy to think that this is 2018 and I you know you can still even in another country that you can still be able to come across cases like this. It's like come on now. We have to do better. And then for her in her so after she murdered him or she killed him she went to her mom and her and you know for help and told them what happened and they're the one who actually turned her in to the police wow mm -hmm. that is so crazy yeah i'm having a hard time even wrapping my mind about around that i mean that's just that's horrible it really is yes 
terrible. But um, if you guys want to look up or, you know, try to see what you can do to help, I think they have a petition going around. It's justice, just hashtag justice for Nora, and her name is N-O-U-R-A, in case justice anyone want to look into that. Got it. Oh, Miss Marissa, you got something good for us this week, I know. <laughs> well, what I have for this week is um, how to get your man to open up. And I'm going to try to do this where for those that are already home as well as those that um, are still inside. Um, and what I found out, or I've kind of been researching this a lot because again I'm usually the type that when I have any downtime I'll try to find different things to kind of keep us doing something interesting or something new and I've been doing this since uh, since I met my husband actually and he was inside so um, apparently <laughs> what works um, is when a man is having fun and they're having, like, enjoying their time is actually what causes them to want to open up. So one of the statistics that I found that was kind of interesting to me was if um, in those cities where there's baseball teams, there's a, <laughs> it's so crazy to me, but um, there's a less chance of, a di- or there's a lower divorce rate in that city because there's like <laughs> actually something fun to do. And I was like, what, what would, but I get it. I guess they, they, you know, they can probably go to the games and enjoy that common, you know, denominator that they both have. Yeah. Maybe the woman likes the sports too and so forth. So I thought that was pretty interesting. So that the way that we get them to, <laughs> the way to get them to open up is uh, I have a few suggestions that um, I came across and I do know that this one works. It's um, open-ended questions. Usually, um, if you, I have a, a, I'm reading a book now, and it's like 365 questions that you know they, for couples and so forth. And it's basically to get them to think and open up when, um, again, after they're having fun, right? So we just don't want to throw the question out there and see if it, you know, if they kind of respond to it. But after they've had some fun with you, whether it's um, on a date night, which I'll talk about next, or anything in that nature, but making sure that you can connect somehow by bringing up any open-ended questions. A lot of the fun ones are usually, um, and I've looked, you can Google a whole bunch, like questions to ask when you're dating and so on and so forth, but mainly asking questions about their past, their present, and obviously their future, like what what, you know, where do they see themselves in five years and so on and so forth. Those mm-hmm. type of questions where you, they can kind of think, not just a yes or no question. Yeah. And then second, <laughs> secondly, it's for those that are home, um, having date nights is really important. And they're actually um, contributing now. There's a lot of research that says that they're really suggesting for couples to take the time. They're saying it's a lot cheaper to go on dates than it is to have a divorce. So it's definitely <laughs> worth, <laughs> worth investing. And I think it's just the thrill of, you know, being able to, for the, for us ladies is being able to get dressed and, you know, actually having somewhere to go. Obviously we would want our men to kind of like plan it, but if not, there's nothing wrong with the woman planning it as well. Um, but at least having that time away from the house, away from the kids, if there's kids at home, where we can actually, you know, just 
talk one-on-one. And again, now is when you can bring in those open-ended questions wherever it is that you're deciding to have your date night. And I think that um, Mm -hmm. I will suggest, I know it's not as, um, it's not the same as when they're home, but we had date nights while he was there. And that was because everything gets so... um, Routine. Repetitious. Exactly. Um, Talking on the phone and doing this, he needs this, send him this. So were you actually saying, okay, it's... We're, when we talk tonight or when we talk Friday night, we're going to take two phone calls and ask each other. We're, we did the question things or mm-hmm. or just where we're just like tuning back into each other because even when they're away, you kind of lo- you just focus in on the situation more so than mm-hmm. the relationship. So I would suggest that, you know, putting effort into those modified date nights. I think it helped. I agree with you. And um, most of the time, um, like when he was, when my husband was inside, we too had like, um, okay, we're going to watch this one show and we would watch it together, then come back on the phone and talk about what we, you know, what was on. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yes. Also, <laughs> you know, also with a book, you can do the same. We also used to do the, you know, tic-tac-toe where he would send it and then we would have to wait until, <laughs> you know, what's your move? Yeah. And the funny thing I found about that is that he would never want to, to, you know, he would never want to lose, but he would kind of like make it obvious so that I could be able to win. And I'm like, I know what you're doing here. Like, you're not, you're not <laughs> fooling me. So, and I still have those. Um, now that he's home, I still have those. And I look back and I kind of like laugh at it now. But um, one thing that we would do when we were inside, or when he was inside, I should say, and I would go visit is the dominoes. I have mentioned this in the group, but he's really good at it. <laughs> he's really, really good at it. And I, and you know, he's taught me how to play. And now we kind of like still when he's home, we still have challenges and so forth, like um, game nights. And we'll have like, Oh, do you want, I'm going to beat your ass tonight. And kind of deal. And we kind of right. go back and forth on it. We put bets. Um, you know, if, if, if I win, I and get you, this. You and have been losing. Win, <laughs> I actually have been winning. I'm I'm pretty oh. proud of myself. I've been I've been turning it around. You made a comeback. <laughs> exactly. And I'll ask him. I'm like, did you let me win? And he's like, nah, baby, you really got this one this time. So it's kind of like a something that we do that we are able to connect with. And um and I think once a couple kind of finds their niche in whatever it is, whatever game that is that they can uh, establish, it will also help them connect and kind of have some downtime where the man can feel okay she's doing something that I enjoy and that way it causes for them to want to open up some to us um another one that uh let's see so game night I did mention we also have regular game nights like where it could be like taboo or other games that I'm usually like looking around to find I've heard um (laughs) something with humanities it's like a real popular one and um Humanity or something like that's a great game. Yeah, that's, yeah a- that's what I've heard of that one. It's more like an adult game, but cards, um, cards, cards with humanities. That's it. So yeah, I definitely suggest like looking into um, having game game nights that. or mm-hmm, and um, but basically doing things that they enjoy. Um, obviously, uh, having conversations that they also about topics that they kind of like enjoy. I know it's kind of like boring for us, but. 
I do feel that if it's something that they're interested in, they'll be more likely to tune into the conversation as opposed to just kind of like us venting about our day or our, you know, whatever we're going through. And then they kind of like tune out and they're like not listening. <laughs> but the, the, mm-hmm. the goal here is to be able to have them engage in whatever conversation is going on. Yeah. And, and that's pretty much it. Just keep it fun. Keep it um Obviously, pillow talking is another one that I do want to mention for those that are, you know, home. Whenever you get the chance, you know, definitely enjoy that part because that that will also, whenever you're connecting that way, it also does draw them to want to open up to you. So that's the time that you want to talk about heart-to-heart conversations and so on. So those are my tips for today. Well, thank you. Great, oh, you're very great advice as usual. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, well, our topic for today, um, I think I should let um, Julie introduce it because um, neither one of us, we are, um, I call myself RWI because we reconnected while he was in prison, but we were not dating when he went in. So, um, and you guys are MWI, so we don't have that, um, the same experience. And I know... um, Melinda, she joined us too. She's been quiet. Hi, Melinda. <laughs> Hello, ladies. Hello. Good afternoon. Good evening. Donkey. <laughs> Melinda is also MWI. So neither one of us have this experience. And um Julie mentioned it to me and I thought it was a great topic, but you know, n- none of us could speak on it. So um Julie, can you just kind of give us an idea of what you're going to be talking about tonight. Yeah. Um, I think that we talk, you know, there's been a lot of talk about reentry and what to do when they're coming out. But the flip side of the coin is when you are used to having your man at home and all of a sudden your world is turned upside down and you are facing him going into um, being incarcerated and that transition, which um, can be beyond traumatic. It's, there's a grieving process There's also what you need to do to prepare yourself and to prepare him because there are things that have to be taken care of or things that you don't know, especially if you've never had any experience whatsoever with the whole process. Um, I'm three months into this journey. And in those three months, I've learned a lot. Mostly I've learned what I don't know. Um, And there was just a lot of information that I wish I had known at the time that he went in. Um, Definitely. Mm So far, that first month is probably the most trauma that I've experienced. You know, you go mm-hmm. from seeing your man every day, from having him there and the things that you take to gr- for granted to all of a sudden he's gone. Um, and to me, I experienced almost like you would experience a death. Um, and there's a lot of things that you need to know in terms of what to expect um, when that is all unfolding. And that's kind of what I want to talk about tonight, um, how the whole process works. And it's a little bit different for everybody, depending on the state that you're in, and also depending on how things go down. For me personally, I met my, um, I, I met my guy right after he had been arrested for the crime that he's um, serving. Um, I met him, he was out on bond. So the entire, it, it, which was a two year process from the time that I met him, to the time that he was actually sentenced and went into um, into prison. So during that time period in between, we kind of were under the impression just based on what his attorney had told us that he would probably just do probation. So even though it was always in the back of my mind and his mind that um, 
he could be taken away from me or he would go into prison. The reality came very fast and very quick and was very traumatic. Um, so that's mm-hmm. kind of what I'm going to be talking about a little bit today. Do you want me to just kind of go into it or? Yeah. So do you guys, um, just so we know, do you have, um, well, you say you had met him how long before he went in? I met him right after he was arrested. It was 18 months from the time that he, I I met him right after he came out on bond. Um, Okay. And it was 18 months in between when I met him and when he actually got sentenced. So do you guys have a child together? We don't have children together. We both have children and he lived with me. So he is a very much a part of my children's lives. Mm -hmm. Um, And I am a part of his children's life, but we don't have any children together. Okay. How, yeah, how so, long is he serving, if you don't mind me asking? Um, he His sentence is 15 years due three. So he's got 12 years of probation and on top of the three years of incarceration. The hope or my hope is that he'll get make parole in one year. So we could be looking okay. at between one and three years that he's inside. Wow. That's so how was, I mean, I just couldn't imagine that... Um, looming over your head feeling because with my husband he had been in in jail for like six months before I met him and then we it was um almost a year before he actually was sentenced but he was in jail so all that was time served and still it was nerve-wracking just not knowing so how did you guys handle the 18 months did you go about life as usual or how was that we did and I think a lot of the reason we went through life as usual is because his attorney really, really led us to believe that he was not going to do a prison sentence, that he would get drug court or he would be on probation. So we were actually told his, his, we were actually told probably about six months into it that the top count had actually been dropped and that all he was looking at was a simple possession charge. Um, That was not true. It was never the case. Mm. We did not find out it wasn't the case until literally five minutes before he was sentenced. Oh my goodness. So we, there were many continuances the whole time. We were really under the impression it was just a matter of time. And then he would have to do this probation. He might have to do drug court, but it never lo- really loomed over us. In fact, I think we might've even joked about it from time to time, you know, mm. um, when you go away to prison, you know, but it was, it was never reality. Um, The morning that we went into court, the morning that he was actually sentenced or that he took a plea, this lawyer that he had paid $7,500 to had led us all along to believe that it wasn't going to be a big deal. Um, Let me back up just a little bit. On a Monday, he was supposed to go to court. His lawyer said, we're going to get a continuance. I'm going to meet you on Thursday and we're going to talk about what plea options they provided. That Mm -hmm. Tuesday, we received a phone call saying he needed to be in court Wednesday. It wasn't a continuance. It was a callback. And he actually got called back. That Wednesday morning, we went into court, really thinking it was just going to be another court date. His lawyer met us in the hallway five minutes before we went in and said, first, he looked at me and him and said, what was your charge again? Oh, my God. I turned to him and I whispered in his ear, we're fucked. Plain and simple. Because I knew it at that point, something bad was about to happen. And wow. as said, this is the deal. You're going to do 15 years, do three. We're going to go in there. You're going to plead. And that's it. And this, I can't even, when I think back to that day, I mean, both of us were just absolutely stunned. 
it was not what we expected to happen that morning. We never knew it was coming. And did they keep him then or did they give him a time to turn himself in? They did give him time. And the thing is, is that, you know, I I looked at his lawyer because Michael didn't say anything. He didn't know what to say. And I said, look, is there, he's got tools at work. He's got things he's got to tie up. Is there anything we can do to get a little more time? This was on the win. That we can ask the judge to give you until Monday. To turn so he went in, he did the plea. And when, when it came down to it, the, the judge did not give him until Monday. The judge gave him until Friday night at 5 p.m. So we got from Monday wow. morning when we walked out of court until Friday night to tie up his life. And What day was it? I'm sorry. Wednesday. Okay. It was Wednesday morning. And we had a couple of days together. And I, and I thank I thank God for those couple of days because I don't know what it would have been like if I had to just walk out without him that morning. Mm-hmm. So we did get a couple of days to tie up any loose ends he, we, he had. Um, at that point, he signed a power of attorney over to me to deal with child support because he has children that he pays child support on. We went to his job and got his tools. Um, we took care of some other little things like um, his car. He got his last paycheck, which he cashed and gave me that cash. And for the first, you know, that gave me some money to put on his books. So there were some things like that that we dealt with. And then we dealt together with the grief of what was about to happen. And I treasure those couple of days because, and if I could give anybody any advice who's in that situation, make memories, take pictures, take the time to really enjoy each other like there's no tomorrow because that is the last time you guys are going to be together because the hardest thing I have ever had to do that Friday night Mm. was to walk into that sheriff's department and walk out of that place without him. Mm -hmm. Was, you know, he cried a lot the last day we held each other a lot the last day trying to keep him strong because he was so worried that I was going to leave him and that I wouldn't be there for him. And he was mm-hmm. going to be alone and nobody was going to be there for him. So um, aside from taking care of the things that have to be taken care of and, and, and tying up loose ends that have to be taken care done, I really stress, take lots of pictures, try to do something fun together, make some memories together because that's what you've got until he comes back are those memories. Mm-hmm. So important. Um, I didn't take a lot of pictures. That's one of my regrets. Um, we did spend a lot of time, you know, doing, you know, I, I couldn't walk quite right when I walked him into court or what, <laughs> because, you know, it's got to last three years, potentially. Um, try to store it up. <laughs> I said, can I remember saying to him after the last time we were together, I said, is that going to hold you? <laughs> but it, it was, it was probably some of the most precious moments I spent with him and some of the most horrific moments I spent with him. Um, and the hardest thing is to walk in there and walk out without him um, and not know what was going to happen next, you know, um, it was tough. It was rough. But, but again, How I guess you, um, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was going to ask um, if you guys were going to appeal at all or just kind of writing it out. That's an interesting question because we did take the plea and then looking back in hindsight, it was a hasty decision because we were stunned and I wish we hadn't have done it. I wish we had looked at his lawyer and said, no, this is not acceptable. We need to talk about this. We need to get a continuance. We didn't. So after he went in, one of the things I did is I did go and talk to a post-conviction attorney um, who said that there was a whole bunch of things like this particular attorney has a reputation for doing exactly what he did to Michael. 
And, oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I read some Google reviews. And he's a very high profile attorney in this area. But Michael was a little case. He wasn't a big high profile case. And this guy is known for big high profile cases. So Michael just wasn't important enough for him. There were a couple of times he didn't even show up in court. Um, wow. Yeah, it was, it was a mess. And we paid this guy $7,500. So the post-conviction attorney told me that he hired the wrong attorney. He said he might be able to do something. It was a 50-50 shot of getting a, a, a sentence uh, modification, but it was $7,500 he wanted to, um, to even try. Um, and that it, it was a 50-50 shot at best. And then on top of right. that, could do, there was some other, there was nothing that he could really do that was either something that was affordable or had enough of a potential to work that I could come up with that type of money. So the answer is no, we didn't appeal it. Um, okay. Yeah. But that is one of the things I did do shortly after he, within the first week, I went and saw another attorney. How did you guys deal <laughs> with the, um, with the children preparing them? How old are your, you guys' kids? Well, my I have four children, and three of mine are adults. Two of my adult children are also disabled. Um, and one of my children, he's an adult, but he is disabled, is extremely close to Michael. And mm-hmm. that was probably the hardest thing. I sat them down, and I was honest with them. My youngest is, is, uh, is 10. Um, all of them are old enough to understand it. And I explained it, and I didn't sugarcoat it. I was, I was pretty upfront about it. Um, they didn't take it well but they understood um so i i was not you know i was very upfront now they don't visit him because um i don't think that they have with my disabled ones they really don't have the attention span for that and also because michael and i aren't married i'm not even sure that i would be able to get visitation for them um with his children i did not was not the one who told them their their mother he has he has three children from two um women and they actually did the explaining with those children i did not so but they are aware of the situation they they know they know they know that he's incarcerated okay so were they able to spend time with him before and no because they live it was it was not enough time if we had that was the plan when we asked for monday the hope was that we would be able to get his other children but they don't live in state it wasn't enough time and it didn't happen so no not get to see them that's unfortunate so what major changes have you had i mean there's some obvious but what were the major things you noticed or had to change since he's been away well he was the he was our he was the breadwinner in the house he makes way more money than i do i'm a fitness instructor it's a wonderful job that's very rewarding but it doesn't pay very well Um, we, I, I, his, his money always was kind of what supported the house and my money was kind of the fun money. Let's go to the movies. Let's go do this. Let's go do that. That kind of all came to an end. So, um, financially it's been a huge adjustment because now not only is my income paying our bills, but it's also supporting him. So that was, Oh yeah. So that was a, probably the biggest adjustment as far as that goes. And, um, you know, of course, the emotional adjustments, but it, mm. other than, you know, it didn't change, you know, where I live, it didn't change anything like that. Um, most of the adjustments have been for me have been emotional. I mean, to go from having him here all the time, to essentially having him taken away, 
um, was traumatic to say the least. I actually wound up having to go to a grief counselor because to me it was like a death. Um, mm. And that was one of the I things. I can see that. Yeah, well, and, and I think especially, and this is one of the things I wanted to touch upon, is that when they go off initially to prison, there there's kind of two losses. There's the first one, which is where they go to county. Um, and you still have pretty, in most cases, and I don't know about all areas, but in Georgia, and in most cases that I, from other women that I've talked to, they have pretty easy access as far as phone calls. There's no process to get visitation. You can talk to them pretty easily. You can see them pretty easily. Um, so there's that first adjustment. And then the big which is that transition where they, and I think we just lost Toya. Um, uh, that transition where, okay. So um, I was talking about the first transition to go to jail in, in county where you can still communicate with them um, really pretty easily. Most, most jails have a pretty simple visitation process. It's non-contact. But there's not usually a screening process. You don't have to do a background check. They can usually make phone calls. He was able to make phone calls that first night once you set up mm -hmm. your accounts. The big hit comes, which I didn't even know until it happened, which is when they leave county and they go to Jackson um, classification. Well, I call it the black hole because they <laughs> just disappear and there's this nothing. And that was the big hit. That's where you have zero contact with them for an indeterminate amount of time. And that was traumatic. That was the point where I literally withdrew into, I went into this mode where I worked, I came home and I went to bed. I didn't eat. I didn't talk to people. I didn't do anything. And I have a job where I have to be in front of people and be entertaining. So I have to get up on stage and smile and enter because when they come to me, they want to be entertained and I gotta be on. So I would do what I had to do to get through that. And then I would literally shut down. And mm -hmm. I lost in the three months since he's been gone, 42 pounds. Oh my God. It was, um, and in my industry, being in fitness, people come up to me all the time. All of a sudden they wanna hire me as a trainer because holy, look what she did, right? How did you do that? And I, I have to, <laughs> you don't want this diet. <laughs> yeah. I don't tell them that because I don't, I don't put my, no, I get it. Out there. So I tell them, Oh, you just cut sugar and work out. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, that's, that's still the truth. I mean, still the truth. <laughs> but that is not how it happened for me at all. But it, it was, it, that's the, that is the what I call the big whammy. That is when you really feel that loss. And that's what any person who's facing this has to know from the get-go is that that is going to happen. And I think reception pretty much occurs in, okay, so where, oh, no, I think that's what I said was that, that, that second hit, that big hit from where they go from being in the county jail to reception. There is that big black hole. And I don't know about every state, um, I only really know about Georgia particularly, but I think in most states mm -hmm. there is that reception period. And the thing that people need to know when, they when they're in this situation is that there is going to be a period where you are probably not going to have contact. And there are some things that you can do to prepare yourself and some things that you should do. And the first thing I tell everybody is research how that works in your state, because it's not just that they can't call you. In Georgia, when they go to Jackson, which is where most of them go for reception, you can't even put money on their books. Mm -hmm. 
so when they leave when they leave county and they go to Jackson, there are some things you can put in place to kind of make sure that they have money. So for example, I found that out before he was transferred. So I made sure that there was as much money as I could put on his books in county because although I couldn't put money on his books when he was transferred, whatever he had in county transfers with him. So if you Mm -hmm. don't have money on their books when they leave county, there's a potential that they won't have anything when they get when they go into reception. And it could be some time before you can put anything on there because there is, depending on on what the rules are where you are, uh, potentially a 30 to 60 day period where you can't put anything on there. In Georgia, you have to be on their visitation list in order to put money on their books. So you can go through a pretty long period of time before they can you can do that for them. Um, Phone calls can take a very long period of time visitation be prepared, it's going to take a while. Um, What you can do while you're waiting for that to happen is you can make sure you have whatever paperwork is going to be required. Um, If your family, it's a little bit easier. It's usually a birth certificate or um, a marriage certificate. For me, we're not married. So they required um, a letter um, stating the nature of our relationship, my birth certificate and my ID. So I went ahead even before he that was able to um, get me that uh, visitation forms to go ahead, put my letter together and have it notarized so that when I did get that form, I filled out the form and I sent it literally the next day. It was back in the mail. And Mm -hmm. I do want to say is whenever you send anything to any facility that you want to make sure they get, do not send it without having some type of protection on yourself, like a signature or tracking or something. Because Absolutely. <laughs> I learned that the hard way. Oh, yeah. Um, so I sent mine overnight mail with signature required. I wanted to make sure I knew they got it and that they couldn't tell me that they lost it. Because if they can, they will. Um, I highly recommend you do that. Um, I, I just recommend that you look on the state website for whatever state you're in and get as much information you, as you can about that process um, from when they leave county to when they go to the reception area and then when they go to the next facility. Because there's going to be two transfers you're looking at. The transfer when they leave county to when they go to the reception and the transfer from reception to wherever their final facility is. Um, and it can be it can be daunting and it can be a while. Um, my journey was a little bit different because he actually didn't go to Jackson, which is a story within itself. When he left county, I got a phone call from one of his friends in county telling me that he had been transferred to Jackson. So I wrote letters to Jackson and I cried a lot. And about um, a week later, I got a phone call from um, it was a it was a three way call. It was the best call I ever got in my life, even though I could barely hear him. And all I kept hearing him say, I couldn't hear him in the background yelling, babe, babe, babe. And that's all I heard in that phone call. But it was his voice. And that was all that I mattered at that point. Um, but he went to Coastal. He didn't go to Jack. Okay. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to do a program. And that's another long story. It wound up not happening. Um, but still... Um, he got transferred to, to Coastal, and that was the when he sent the visitation forms to me, and then he was transferred again a second time to the facility he actually eventually wound up. So there's going to be two transfers. Um, other things that you can do, again, it's just you know making sure you understand how the process is. Read, get on the Department of Corrections website, read as much as you can, educate you, as, yourself as much as you can. And then also, for me, doing something 
helped me feel like I was doing because there is a feeling of helplessness, especially for somebody like me, because I'm a control freak. And when you all of a sudden have no control, it is Mm -hmm. overwhelming to say the least. I went through uh, this period of just helplessness that I've never felt. Um, And then finding somebody you can talk to, whether it's a close friend or counseling. For me, I found, I I went to a grief counselor um, and it really helped me because I, I was not coping. I was not dealing with it well. Um, It's, it's very, very hard to, to, and I I lost somebody, especially because I couldn't talk to him. It disappeared out of my, ripped out of my life. And because he lived with me, and this is something, you know, very specific to somebody who has somebody who's living with you, whether you're married or not. And all of a sudden they're gone is everywhere. I looked in my house, there he was, his car Mm -hmm. was in the driveway. His boots stayed in my bathroom floor for three weeks. I could not move them. His clothes were in the dresser drawer. Everything about my house said he's coming home, except for he Mm -hmm. wasn't. He wasn't. Yeah. And you made a really great point bringing up the the process for classification because um, I went through that and it was, I I won't say it almost broke us up, but it was really traumatic for him more so than me and in and we knew because after he was sentenced his lawyer told me he was like when she um she told me once he gets transferred he goes to jackson jackson you probably won't know and you know he'll he won't be able to call you they can't call at all but um so i kind of had that in my mind and then he did the same thing where he had his um, roommate call me and just let me know that he left but what happened was there was a delay in our letters for some reason i don't know if they were holding his letters or or whatever but he had wrote me maybe three times before getting one of mine even though i was writing him (laughs) beforehand so he kind of got in the oh i guess you know, you're not going to wait on me and you're going to leave. And I, you know, and it was, and so I'm like frantically writing him like, no, that's not it, you know, and trying to, and it was like, I would be in tears because I could feel his frustration being there Mm -hmm. feeling like, you know, okay, this is it. She's out. And I can't even talk to him. Like if I could just get him on the phone, this could be handled quickly, but no, we're going through these letters. So I couldn't even, and that was with us both knowing what to expect. So like you said, it is kind of like a black hole. And if you don't know, one day you're talking to him and the next day he's nowhere to be found. And then in the system, you can't really see where he's at even by looking him up until after a certain amount of time. So is that's a really good point just knowing and again i'm in georgia too so it's the same but i don't know how it will be in um other states but that's a good thing to know the transition from prison to um i mean from jail to prison he actually had kind of the same thing happen because when i got the phone call and was told he was transferred to jackson i wrote him every day at jackson but the problem is he wasn't he wasn't there (laughs) (laughs) he was at coastal so I was writing letters to Jackson for a solid week until I found out he wasn't at Jackson. Still don't know to this day what happened to those letters because <laughs> I wrote some really good emotional letters. Also, <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, they never sent them to him? No, he never, they never forwarded them? Never wow. forwarded 
they don't always forward in mail. In fact, it was funny because I just yesterday got a letter back from one of the letters I sent him at County three months ago. Um, they don't always trans, they do not always forward letters. Sometimes they do. The, some of the ones I wrote him at Coastal that happened right before he got transferred, he's gotten at his new facility. But um, one, one thing I have learned is that information that you receive is not always co correct. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> You could, and in fact, even when he got, when I found out he was at Coastal, I would, because I couldn't talk to him, I was calling Coastal every day and I was constantly getting different stories. And this kind of brings up an interesting point about uh, the visitation list and just something that wasn't common knowledge to me. And this is why I say you always want to like ask a lot of questions. This was not Michael's first time being incarcerated. It was the first time that he knew me. He had mm -hmm. been incarcerated about 10 years ago um, when he was pretty young. Um, and he was with one of his um, baby mamas and he had a visit. He, she was on his visitation list back then. And this was a long time ago. So nobody ever would have thought about that. But one of the times I called probably, I used to call twice a day. Is my visitation approved yet? Is my visitation. One of the times I called, the lady said, well, they're not going to approve you because he's already got a significant other. And, mm -hmm. I, and I said, no. <laughs> That would have hurt. This woman was just trying to bait me. She kept saying, oh, well, he's not being honest with you. He's not being honest with you. And I'm smart enough to know my man. And I trust my man enough to know that there was something else going on. And mm -hmm. what, it came, what it came to figure out was that his old visitation list, even though it was 10 years old, was mm -hmm. still It was still there. So you cannot have and the same um, the same exact thing happened with my husband. And it was so funny because it was the warden and he's like, um, oh, he already has a fiance on there. Um, do you know a Courtney? You know, and I'm like, yeah, that's his um, the mother of his child. And that's from 10 years ago. I can call her if you want me to. <laughs> I'm like, you're in, but if I did not know you know, and it was the same 10 years ago that he had that visitation list and they're like, he hasn't, I'm like, that's over, you no. know, but it was just so hurtful how, how they, you know, how they, well, this you know, he was start a fight. She was sitting there telling me he's lying to you. He's got another woman. And I know my man's a little bit if I hadn't been strong, if I had been anybody who had any doubts, that could have been really bad. Mm -hmm. So, um, he had to get her removed. And the thing was, I didn't have any contact with him yet at that point because he still didn't have phones. Um, so I there, I said, well, how am I supposed to let him know that if he can't call me? And she's like, well, I'll write a letter. And I'm thinking my visitation is going to get denied because his girlfriend from 10 years ago is on his visitation. Mm -hmm. So um, thankfully, you know, because he had been in before, he was kind of savvy with, you know, how to get calls when you don't have calls and he called he, he did call me again on another three-way and um i was able to let him know what was going on and he was able to get it handled and we got our visitation the day after he got her on the list i got approved as soon as he got her off that list but that mm -hmm. held up my visitation for a while yeah because georgia i don't know about all states but yeah you definitely cannot have more than one significant other on there yeah, he and is, they just recently changed it, like you said, where you have to be on the um, his approved visitation list to send money. So it took me a while to get on the list because I think they do it every six months and they were just giving us a hard time. Well, it, it, so I had to send money in his sister's name <laughs> because I wasn't on the list. 
What they do is that when they first go in, they have 30 days to establish their visitation list. But after that 30 day window, they can they can add visitors in November and May. And unfortunately for us, he was he was transferred to prison in May. So because of that, that also slowed things down because it was the month that every mm-hmm. in the state of Georgia was allowed to make changes to their visitation list. So everything was moving a little bit slower. And that's the one thing I've kind of learned from this is nothing moves fast in the Department of Corrections. Nothing moves fast. Anything and nothing. Go ahead. Every, anything you think would take a normal person a day to do is going to take them three weeks to do. And it, it's, and, and I also say persistence, persistence, persistence. I was calling that facility twice a day because I wanted to make sure they had the paperwork. I wanted to make, ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Always ask questions because I, if I had not been persistent in asking questions as to why it wasn't approved, I would not have known his significant other was on that visitation. Don't see that. Yep. And, and what happened with us, because you're right, they get 30 days. My husband went to prison after he left Jackson, he was transferred to his um, prison. That very day, he called me one time and he was like, I'm going to call you um, back. Never heard from him again. And mind you, I'm used to county where he can call. He had a tablet. He can call me whenever. So I'm like, what's going on? I call and find out that the state has locked down all prisons because of gang activity within the prisons where they were, you know, having different, you know, sending kites or whatever. So he was on lockdown in his cell for over a month. And when I tell you those letters were, was devastating. He was like, I'm hot. They won't let us out for anything. They would not let them out at all. So you would think because they know that they were on lockdown that he that he will still have his 30-day window to do his visitation list but no they're like well his 30 days passed (laughs) but he hasn't seen his counselor he hasn't made you know it 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 was just a shell shock to me how nobody has to follow the rules you know they get to make and break their rules and change them to Mm -hmm. fit whatever you know it was no clear cut you know even with the visitation you'll see these are the rules the dress codes but then you see someone clearly against dress code so you're confused as to you know but what you had on was wrong but that wasn't even on the list so it, oh, yeah, frustrating. It's all a learning. Pro- I mean, everything has been a learning process. It really has. I I knew nothing about about the prison system before this all happened, um, and now I know way more than I've ever wanted to know. Um, I have a question. <laughs> um, I wanted to know. I know that one of the emotions that a lot of the girls that at least I've spoken with um when they've had their men like home and then they're incarcerated is anger because they're uh, you know like angry at their their significant other for landing in there i guess and so they go through that emotion at first where not only is all this happening but then they're upset with their with their man because it's like why would you do this and i know like i said i'm my husband was inside and then now he's home and one of the I don't want to call it a fear, but one of my issues is making sure that he stays home because I don't want to ever go back through that process again. So 
whenever he has to go to like say his parole officer or you know whenever that time comes i'm always like not nervous in the sense but i always have that behind my the in mm-hmm. the back of my mind like what if you know and so i keep thinking to myself if and i've told my husband if he god forbid but if he were to go back I don't know if I I would be able to deal with it because it's so, you know, you had your opportunity. You need to make the best of it. But my question yeah. to you is, did you go through that emotion where you were upset with him? Or is it something because you were kind of like in shock? You It didn't really, like I, you never took it out on him. I didn't have that anger. And probably because the crime that he committed happened before I met him. Mm-hmm. I met him. I he, was out on, he was out on bond. So what he did was before he met me. So I guess I didn't feel the anger because of that. Um, The emotions that I felt were just an overwhelming sense of loss. And and, um, my emotions towards him, and this is what I kind of noticed. I was a little, it's interesting. My anger towards him actually decreased because even though he committed the crime before he met, I met him, he had been actively using again. He's an addict, and that's and that's why he really needed to go into some type of rehab or addiction support as opposed to prison. And that's what we were under the impression was going to happen. Um, so I, I had been angry with him that he had started using again because he had relapsed while I knew him. When I met him, he was clean. Um, mm-hmm. But when at, at, from the moment he got sentenced, all that anger went away. It all became this heightened emotion towards him that I've sometimes kind of thought about because our emotions towards each other are so much more intense now than they mm-hmm. were. The things that he says to me now are so much more intense. I mean, the constant, I love you. I love you. And, and, and the things he says and all the right things. And I'm not saying he never said those things when he was home, but not like he does now because they're, yeah. And there's a, a little part of me that says, you know, is this how he really feels or is this prison, Michael? Right. No. And how, how far away is he, um, Julie? Um, he's he really far away? pretty close. It's, it's an hour and 15 minute drive. Um, so I go every Sunday. Now, when he was first transferred, he went to Coastal. So I only actually visited him at Coastal one time. He was, as soon as I got proof for visitation, I saw him one time at Coastal and the following Tuesday he was transferred. And thankfully he would, and geographically in the state, because I'm in Atlanta, Coastal's in Savannah, it is geographically the, the furthest prison from me. So when I, at the time that he was transferred, even though I didn't know where he was gonna land right away, I knew it was gonna be closer. Um, so he wound up just an hour and 15 minutes away. That is so funny. My husband was in um, Ware, which is was a four-hour drive from Atlanta, and then he got moved to Columbus, which is an hour and fifteen-minute drive. I was so happy. Oh yeah, for that hour and fifteen minutes. <laughs> the only downside to where he's at now is that he's in a he's in a work camp, which they, if you want to talk about, don't follow the they follow their the, the beat their own drummer. They set their totally their own rules, which are different than any of the other facilities. You can't go both days. You have to choose Saturday or Sunday. They only get four hours. They don't get the six. And here's the really fun part. They can't use the bathroom. So it's a four-hour visit. But that's oh, my God. Because my man has the bladder of a toddler. <laughs> we have never made it to the two-hour mark. Really? Even if he doesn't drink anything? When he gets up, he doesn't drink anything. And, and I can tell his leg will start twitching and I can tell he's clenching his fist and he's trying to hold on, but I know he can't hold on much longer. And he'll, and he'll look at me and he'll go, babe, 
final countdown. <laughs> and I know we got about 10 minutes before he's got to go. So it's never been more than two hours. Wow. Well, at least it's only an hour and 15 minute drive. Right. That was a four hour drive. <laughs> it was a four hour drive. He would have to wear um, a diaper at visitation. <laughs> Get a catheter. I don't care. I drove three and a half hours. <laughs> sitting there. I don't care if you pee on yourself. Um, mm-hmm. so, yeah. And and the visitation there, but the, I have to say that there it's it's kind of a trade-off there. They don't have the all of the food and the vending machines. They don't have any any activities like you were talking about playing dominoes. There's no games. It's oh, two wow. chairs and us. There's not even a table. And the vending machines have cokes and chips. There's no mm-hmm. like real food. Um but the guards don't stay in the room. They're in another room looking at us through glass and they only come in if there's a problem and they're pretty lenient about touching. I mean, not like, you know, touching, yeah. but I can hold his hand or I can rub his head or I can, you know, do, we can be a couple and be intimate yeah. and respect without somebody standing over us. Some when affection. We're, yeah. yeah. With, when we were at Coastal, I don't know what he did to piss off whoever he pissed off. But that first visitation, they put us at the back. When I went in, they gave me a table at the back of the room. As soon as he sat down, a guard came over and said, we're going to move you two. And they put us right in front of the guards. And I looked yeah, at I've him, seen that happen. What did you do? <laughs> How did we get the front row seat? <laughs> and we still don't know to this day who he made angry that got us put there. But um, so, I mean, visitation at his new facility is actually pretty good. Um, and it's only 10 minutes from where his mother lives. So she goes and sees him on Saturday and I go and see him on Sunday. So I have no complaints about that. And it's a, and, and, and other things there are pretty laid back. So for the most part, I'm really happy with, with that transition. But even that transfer when he went from coastal to that second facility was traumatic, not as traumatic as the first one, but it was still hard. I mean, I, 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 I once again lost touch with reality, wasn't eating, was, you know, just in this horrible state of panic until I knew where he was. There's a lot of panic and emotion that goes with, you know, with the, especially the beginning stages. I'm just now getting to the point where I don't freak out on a daily. It, it is a, right. a, a very difficult transition, especially if you have zero experience dealing with um, the whole correction system. Um, and I, I've never known anybody. Which is a lot of us. <laughs> I've mm-hmm. never known anybody in, in, in prison for, I mean, my ex-husband went to jail one time for like a drunken disorderly. He spent one day in prison or one day in jail and he was a freaking wreck and thought it was the worst thing ever. And I'm thinking that was nothing, dude. <laughs> no clue. Um, so it was a, every, all of it, everything is a learning experience and um, just trying to find my way. And I'm so grateful every day that I found these support groups on on Facebook because I would probably still be in my bed under those covers trying to sleep for three years. Wow. Because I have nobody that I can really talk to. I mean, a lot of us feel a stigma attached to it and telling people is hard. Mm -hmm. and then you don't want to go because when you tell them you have to explain and you just really don't want to feel like you know you're the animal at the zoo and everybody you know is looking at you like you're a science project you just don't want to be put on the spot (laughs) like that so right I told some very very close friends and I told my boss because I have that relationship with my boss and she was awesome the night that I turned him in I didn't want to go home 
you know, the night, that first night I walked him in, I, I couldn't go, I couldn't face walking in the door because I knew that was going to be traumatic. For me. So mm -hmm. I went and she was at the, at uh, the studio. Cause I, I work in a fitness studio and I, I, I called her when I was leaving. I'm like, are you still there? And she said, yes. And I showed up, I walked in the door, she hands me a shot of whiskey and says, sit down and hang out with me. <laughs> She kept me company for hours because I did not want to go home. Because I was telling you, walking through that door the first time without him was awful. And then the mm. breakdowns became random and erratic. I mean, the simplest things that reminded me of him would set me off. I think the worst breakdown I had was he loves bones. He always has. I mean, that was his favorite snack. And so I would always like surprise him with boxes of little little Debbie snacks because that's what he liked. So a couple of days after he went in, I walked into Food Depot and they had a big display of honey buns that they had on sale and gut reaction. I went to go grab one and I lost it. I just stood there mm. falling like an idiot. And and people were staring, you know, look at the crazy oh little my. display of honey buns. I mean, but things set me off. Anything that reminded me set me off. It was, it was like, I didn't even know who I was because it was not me. I'm usually a pretty together person and, and mm -hmm. um, everything would just, and the only thing that the only time I didn't think about my situation was either when I was asleep or when I was teaching my classes, because I have this ability to turn my entire world off and be that performer. But as soon as the lights went dim and I stepped off that stage, I was back in that reality. I would cry all the way home. It was, it was intense. Well, I definitely, um, especially from hearing your story, can see how it's comparable to um, mm -hmm. death. I mean, it's definitely a loss and you'll go through a grieving process. So I do appreciate you speaking on this topic. Um, like I said, none of us had experienced, you know, those exact things. But it's, it's um, I mean... I don't know if you can actually prepare for it, but you did offer some good advice, you know, have a support system, make some memories, take some pictures <laughs> and um, research New York State prisons. And, <laughs> Ask a lot of questions. And, and one really do need to make sure they have money on their books in county so that when they transfer, they are not without funds because no, then they to get postage stamps to mail to you, to mail a letter to you. So that, right. that is the one big thing you can do for them, you know, make sure that they have money on their books in county because there is, depending on your state, I don't know about other states, I know in Georgia, you cannot put money on their books until you are on their visitation and that can be wild. So that, that's a big one. Yeah, that's true. And the other big one is anytime when you send those forms in, certified mail, something, with, <laughs> because they, if they can lose it, they will lose it. Yep. I agree. I, I always sent mine with tracking. Well, thank you again, Julie. Wait a minute. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. What I would suggest to, I mean, I know every state is different. Every facility is different. If you have access to like something like a JPay, um, as far as correspondence, um, that's always good, especially for facilities that are known for losing correspondence. At least if you have a JPEG, um, you have a copy of that email and you can always print it out and resend it. Um, and then it also has a tracking number on there for whatever it's worth, but you really don't need it. And as far as 
like putting money on books and commissary too, um, depending on the, well, I only know about Texas. So, you know, they have e-com and they also have JPay too, that you can add money to commissary. Um, in Texas, anyone can add money to anyone's books, but I know as far as like, you know, losing mail, especially during lockdown time and stuff like that is very common. Um, I've heard of a lot of people making copies of their letters and sending them because it'll be, you know, oh, this letter got lost or I got a letter a month or two months later. But if you have that copy, at least you don't lose your words. You know, you're not losing your, your moments and your words that you were spending time um, trying to correspond with your loved ones. So that might be just an idea, um, especially if it's, you know, something significant and important. At least you have a copy of what you sent them when they get it. You can do whatever you want with it. But I know when I correspond um, with um, people who are inside. I typically use JPay, and if I don't, then I make a copy of whatever it is that I write that I send. Um, I write the date that I send it on the envelope, and they do the same. So you can mm-hmm. check to see if the facility is holding mail or if not, because the date's on the letter, the date's on the envelope, and then you can see, of course, the postmark. Um, you should see the postmark on, on the envelope. I want to mention, though, is that for, in my case, and I don't know if that's always the case with JPay, when they go into um, the facility, they have to be given a PIN number to use the JPay kiosk because they're not going to get a tablet right away. Um, and in my, in my guy's case, he was never given a PIN number when he first got to Coastal or, or if it was Jackson Jackson, um, because that doesn't happen right away. So I was also sending him emails that he to this day has never received because the facilities at now doesn't have JPEG. So the mm-hmm. entire time that he was at Coastal, he never received that PIN number. So even though I was sending him these emails and, and thinking, why didn't he receive this? The truth is he never received. He, he never got an opportunity to receive. He never got a tablet. Every state is different because Texas doesn't yeah. have that. They don't have tablets or anything like that. So what they do, you print off, you write the JPEG, the mailroom will print it off on the printer and they'll pass it out like a regular letter. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's how it was at, um, at the county jail here. But even in Georgia, they have the tablets, but like a state camp won't don't have tablets so he had a tablet when he was in prison but when he got i mean when he went to um state prison but when he went to a county camp which is like a work camp he didn't have a tablet but he had a kiosk which was totally different from jpay which was way more expensive but yeah so you definitely have to be aware that even though it's in the same state and the rules don't apply for every facility trust me it may not even apply to that facility the week after it depends on who's working um how they feel did they have breakfast did they have lunch it just (laughs) can change it's information that i i could call i could call especially when i was close to call five times and get five different answers to the same question and have none of them be right it is (laughs) i mean I, I never take anything for granted. I try, to, I try to read a lot of what I can on the Department of Corrections website, but even some of the stuff that was on the Department of Corrections website doesn't necessarily hold true for all facilities. 
So that is definitely something you want to bear in mind. Like um, a good for example, and um, with books, um, they say like, for example, for Georgia, that they can receive books through Amazon, but that is not true for all facilities. That's yeah. true for, that's Georgia's basic rule. But then like I sent him a book thinking that was okay at Coastal through Amazon. Well, guess what? Amazon is not allowed at Coastal. They got to have Barnes and Noble. Mm-hmm. And yep. so it's rejected. I mean, um, so I never take anything for granted. Always double, triple check, call the facility if you can. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, Download the handbook yeah. and read it. Mm-hmm. I would. I did. And I know that handbook backwards and, and forwards. And, and definitely if your state or, or you know, facility has um, like a, a local prison support group that's more on the legal side, I would definitely suggest joining that. Like Texas has TIFA. Um, I don't know about other states, but definitely they are advocates for um, those who are inside and definitely can be a voice you know, a louder voice than maybe sometimes we can. It, it is hard. And also because they don't have the emotional aspect of it that you have yourself, because everything that you say, a lot of it, when you talk about your man or your situation, you're coming from really emotion. And sometimes having an advocate that doesn't have an emotional investment in it really kind of helps. Mm-hmm. Well, any more tips, ladies? <laughs> Take care of yourself. That's a big one. <laughs> I mean, yeah, have have something to do, like you said, with your classes and work, have something to do because you can be overwhelmed and just wrapped up in the situation and it will become depressing. It will. Yes, you become you become nothing but your man and nothing but concentrating on that one thing. And you can't. And I'm, I'm probably the worst person to speak about that because that's exactly what I did. I became obsessed and tunnel vision to one thing, which was what was going on with him. And I didn't, I lost a lot of weight and I didn't sleep. And it was, you know, and, and, and in my job, I have to eat. It's, I mean, I'm teaching three, four physical classes a day and I was doing it with no food. Mm. So don't run yourself into that hole, you know, take care of yourself because for you to take care of him, you've got to take care of you. And that's easy to forget. Well, you know what? I usually end on a positive note, but I think that <laughs> is the positive note for tonight. Take care of yourself. Yeah. Don't forget a, don't forget about you because you cannot be anything to him if you're not doing what you need to do for yourself. So mm-hmm. I think that um, that's a good point to end on. Awesome. Thank you again, Julie. Good oh, night. Thank you. Good night. Bye-bye. We ride, 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 even when it don't go right, even when the shit go left, even when my arms can't fight, we ride, there's somebody that gon' ride for you, even when I lose my breath, who gon' die for you?